Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, your all things recovery podcast. Recovery Uncovered is produced by MHAB Enterprises, a division of the Northeast Group of Companies located right here in Plattsburgh, New York. I'm your host, Mike Carpenter. Affectionately known as MHAB Mike. And I'm your co-host, Betsy Vicencio. Affectionately known as BV the Normie. We have one goal in these podcasts, and that's not to suck. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everybody. I am Mike Carpenter, affectionately known as MHAB Mike. I'm your host for Recovery Uncovered. This is my sidekick, Betsy Vicenzio, affectionately known as BV the Normie. How are you doing today, Bets? Good morning, <laughs> Michael. I'm so, well. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing just great. I knew Betsy. that about you. You know, we had that little fight the other night over uh, cell phones, but that's okay. We didn't have a fight over cell phones. You we had, you know, everything I do irritates you. <laughs> but I just want to remind everybody that if you saw last week's podcast, was it last week that Bridget was here and we talked? Yes, I it was I said very Bridget. nice stuff about Betsy. Even Bren and Telly were impressed that I was God. very loving to you. I know I would blame you for your daughter's addiction, <laughs> at least publicly. Well, <laughs> at least in that <laughs> podcast, you didn't. Podcast. I appreciated that. Thank so, you. So we have a, an incredibly exciting podcast, I think, today that, that uh, should hopefully bring to light some stuff that is a real problem in this society and, and one of the things that we've been able to work through. Our, our guest today is uh, Dave Stone, and Dave Stone is a, a dear friend of mine, and we've been friends for a lot of years although we probably could have been friends a lot longer than what we've been. Um, and some people may say because of race, we weren't good friends early on. It wasn't that. It was really because of Dave's arrogance uh, <laughs> that I couldn't be his friend. And Dave will tell you what it's his chance to speak Wait, because of Mike's arrogance. That's right. Wait, can I, I need to ask a question because I believe that, 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 well, let me Dave. finish my introduction. Oh, all right, you finished? <laughs> well, I just want, I wanted to table that there might be other things beside race and arrogance on the table, not the least of which that David might have some degree of education that you might be a little yes, bit, a little bit my, twisted up about. He has to compensate for that. Yes, he does. He absolutely does, Dave. <laughs> my dear, you can see how much fun it is. <laughs> my, my dear friend Dave Stone is a solid member of the recovery community. I count on him for a lot of stuff and have for, yeah. for many years. And so thank you for coming today. And, and thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy, happy to be here. Uh, good to see you two again. And, you know, I know someone told you that the arrogance that you saw in me was really reflected in you. <laughs> I think I got the whole finger pointing <laughs> back at me. Yeah. You didn't invite me to your wedding. <laughs> oh! And I keep telling Lizzie, wow. I'll get invited to the second, her second. It, it would be the third wedding if he gets married again, just so we're all clear. <laughs> you know, at some point you'll get over that resentment. I, I might. You know, you're on my list. You know, so, uh, uh, I'm, I'm doing a four step, so you know. <laughs> So, you know, I call you Stoney, so mm -hmm. I, I mean, if I, if I slip and don't call you David or Professor today, that's fine. I usually that's, call no. you Stoney anyway. I don't wear that mantle outside of, the, outside of campus. So. That's, the, uh, that's the name I like is Stoney. Mm -hmm. So um, let's start by, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dave, and how you got here and what recovery is kind of like and your journey to northern New York. Uh, okay, well, I, I have been here just a little over 15 years. We, we moved here in uh, July of... Uh, 2005. It'll be 16 years in July, um, and I have I've been in recovery for 35 years, and so I participate in 12-step programs and uh, have been since the beginning of my sobriety, and so moved here and sought out you know the local you know recovery community, 
Um, and it's been, all I can say is it's been, um, it's been tremendous. Uh, I, the ups and downs of life that I've been through in, in the 15 years I've been here, uh, people in the recovery community have always been there. They've always delivered. Um, I remember uh, when I was in, I had cancer, I was in the hospital. Uh, people brought a meeting to the hospital, went down the hall and got Dutch. It was the last meeting the Dutch ever attended, you know. Um, that's right. And, I was yeah. one. Just, yep, was you one were there. You right. were there. Yes. Look at and, you. Uh, um, All about you, time, right? You know, there've been people brought two or three meetings to my house. You know, yeah. um, I have felt. Um, uh, I mean, I felt welcomed. You know, I felt uh, supported, encouraged. I've found uh, the community just to be tremendous. It's, uh, and I, you know, yeah, and that's you know when. People in 12-step programs say, you know, no matter where you are, you can find your family. You know, no matter where you are, you can find your support group, and that's true. And it's it's in it's in good shape here. So, um, I am uh, married. I have uh, four kids. The youngest one is uh, the youngest one is in college at uh, University of Colorado. He's in a physics program. I think this is a launch point for our talk. Um, He's getting a PhD in physics. He's the smart one. Hmm. Number he one. He is a yeah. smart. That kid is. Yeah. 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 Really he's, you know, he's really I watched him and your dad. Yeah. You know, you and I were there. We start talking, and we had to leave because we, we had to go get a dictionary. We had to go get a dictionary. But he is um, in a PhD program in physics at the University of Colorado. It's the number one program in the country. Um, he took his comprehensive exams for his master's, and. Uh, when he came out, when you take your comprehensive exams, there's a, there's a moment, I believe there's a moment where you know more than anybody else about that particular thing. That's, you're, you're the most up to date, you're the most knowledgeable. And it's a, it's a, it's quite a, an empowering, affirming feeling. And when he walked out of his comps, he said, all I could think about was 9922 nine, or 843. So I could think about 843, 847. You know, and that was the, uh, time uh, of the video of uh, Chauvin uh, and George Floyd and um, he said he went into physics because he thought he could be a beacon a model for other African Americans to join you know the stem careers and stem education and uh, it's just not enough my son is leaving the program really? he's going to law school he wants to be a civil rights lawyer Wow yeah. Well, I will tell yeah. you, I know I know Keenan, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit, not mm -hmm. real well, but mm -hmm. he that kid can do just about yeah. anything he puts yeah. his mind yeah. to. He is. Well, he's now I will I want to tell you that I I also love your daughter and mm -hmm. I know her well and she's a great dance teacher. We took ballroom That's dancing right. and she's right. very patient with Ryan's me, wonderful no ability to yep. move. So she's, she's in the city. She works for a PR firm. <laughs> you know, and you know, we're I mean we're gonna spend some time talking about alcohol and drugs and stuff like that and addiction and addictive patterns and she works for a PR agency that represents entertainers. Oh, wow. And every day, yeah, she has a, a moral struggle, you know, uh, having to, uh, you know, people in denial, people who see their, their, their uh, golden goose, you know, uh, getting away from them and stuff like that, yeah. and, and ha trying to help them navigate those waters sanely, um, and, and, you know, a, a client of theirs overdosed and died, and you know the the mother is like, 
My, my son's not a drug addict. My son's not a drug addict. And, you know, and, and Ryan has to try to figure out how to, you know, spin this and make it work. And she just keeps it when she walks out of the office every day, obviously remote, but when she gets off work every day, she feels like she just needs to wash it off of yeah. her, you know? It's got to feel so, dirty to yeah, have to, yeah, to, have yeah, to yeah, craft, yeah, yeah, craft a yeah, message yeah, that's yeah. so unauthentic to, mm -hmm, to the people, exactly, the situation pays exactly, no honor yeah. to, well, that's to part life. Of the, you know, you're exactly yeah. right. And that's part of the addictive stuff, you know. Uh, there's, this, there's a shame factor for a lot of people, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, and loved ones and, and, and people who are associated with addicts, uh, We'll, we'll twist the story, uh, you know, because they're, because they're ashamed, sure. you know, and they don't want to be embarrassed by it. You know, one of the, one of the things that we, we try to do with this, and, and what I've tried to do, you've known me for years, is this whole stigma piece, this mm -hmm. whole, yeah. you know, I, I don't necessarily like being a poster child for recovery or any of that, because I think I wear a lot of other hats, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. a lot of things. But if people that have been able to, to kind of become successful in their life aren't willing to stand up and go, you can change, yeah. then we never, nobody right. that's in the outside world ever sees right. us as anything other than, oh, those are those criminals. Those right. are those yeah. people that yeah. are, you know, mm -hmm. all screwed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're a highly educated, very successful mm -hmm. guy, and, I'm, mm -hmm. and I know your story pretty well, mm -hmm. so I'm going to ask you, that's not how you grew up. No, right? no, uh-uh. You know, and, you know, just to echo a little bit about what you said, though, was, um, you know, I have I've been reprieved. You know, there's no there's no if ands or buts about it. Uh, you know, um, I have um, I've danced along razor blades razor blades edges. You know, um, and for for whatever reason uh, didn't fall off. You know, um, and I sunk. You know, I sunk pretty low in my uh, you know in my life as as an addict and an alcoholic, um, and. You know, I was dishonest. I was, you know, I would uh, hustle people, and you know, you know, if I was someplace where you say the two of you were husband and wife, and we were in a bar having, you know, drinking or whatever, or someplace getting high, and you know, I'd be borrowing money from you and trying to get you to go to bed with me, you know, uh, you know, well, and, then laugh, and then laugh at you, <laughs> laugh at you for giving me money that you ain't going to get back and for sleeping with your wife, you know. Wow, I was morally bankrupt, you know. All right, so wait, because I know a lot of cool stories mm -hmm. about you. Tell us the Durango story. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just tell me Durang yeah. Like Durango, 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 Colorado. Colorado. I was in Durango, Colorado, and and I was, uh, um, you know, there's a there's a back a little, there's a more. I'm going to add a little bit to that, and that is, I was the director of a drug program. An you were director addict. of a drug program. I was an active addict. And an addict at the at mm -hmm. the time. Almost, I almost sunk the program. Wow. Um, almost got it defunded, um, and uh, one of my uh, uh, supervisees um, uh, was a rugby player, and they drank and partied and all that kind of stuff. And they had a rugby game, and um, then a party at the rugby house after that. And one of the rugby team players died that night in his bed. Oh. And the last place he wasn't he was alive was at this person's house. And uh, my boss called me and he said, I want you to ask Victor if he uses cocaine. And if he says yes, I want you to fire him. So I went to Victor and I said, hey, Vic, I was supposed to ask you if you use coke. <laughs> no, I don't use any coke, you know. And that, that, was our, that was our take on it after this man's death, you know. And so th that's how far removed I was from any humanity. Um, 
And I, the funding application was late. Uh, the guy at State said, you, you have endangered the funding of your program. We don't know if you don't have any money. You know? So I was in Durango, and I was arrested in uh, Durango, Colorado, uh, Main Street, Durango, Colorado, for drunken disorder. And I was arguing with my wife. And uh, cops came. Somebody, somebody across the street saw us arguing. And sometimes when you see this, it sets up, when, sometimes when people see this, it sets up a, uh, it sets in motion some associations, okay? That may or may not be true. So when you say see this, you're talking about see a black man. Mm -hmm, yeah. Okay. I'm six foot three, she's five foot three. I okay. probably weighed, you know, 250 pounds. And you're and drunk. And yep. I'm drunk. So you're yeah. drunk, and we're arguing, big you know? black man. And I'm a, you know, I talk with my hands and all that kind of stuff. And um, some, someone called and said that there was, a, there was a black man beating a white woman on the street. You know? And so these cops came and, you know, and, and I turned to them and said, what do you want? You know, and it's like, boom, I'm up against the wall, handcuffed. And uh, as my, my wife was walking away, I said, call Dave West. He's an attorney. And the two cops started laughing. They go, he won't represent you. He's the city attorney. You know? so, yeah, and I'm just talking out of my behind. You know, I'll have your badge. You know who I am. And that's that stuff in recovery where they tell you where, you, where you're not right-sized. You know? your, your perception of how big you are is really inverted and, and terrible. So it took me to jail. And I was sitting in, um, uh, on this concrete bench. It had an iron ring in it. And I was chained to that iron ring. And the thought occurred to me, this is how your ancestors came here. This is what your ancestors were chained to. And they didn't, they didn't die, endure anguish, pain for you to be chained to addiction. And I drank for five more years, you know. So then they put me in my cell. And the trustee was a client of the drug program. I knew him. He was a town drunk. We once counted up how much time he'd done doing 30 days, 60 days, six years, you know. He brought me my slippers and my blanket. And he couldn't look at me. He turned his head. And I like that. That's pretty low. And that's when I looked at the pipe up in the top of the cell trying to figure out how to get the blanket around it so I could hang myself. That's, that was pretty low. Yeah. And I don't ever want to forget yeah. that, you know. And um, you drank for five more years. I drank for five more years. Yeah. Yeah. Got worse. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's like that, but that moment has, you know, uh, that moment has stuck with me um, because it's important. I mean, it's important for me to understand how far down the scale I went, you know. And, and that, and it's, it can happen again if I'm not vigilant, if I'm not practicing recovery as an active process, you know. When I ask people if they're in recovery, you know, um, <clears throat> I say, well, tell me about it. Articulate that for me. You know, what, what is that? Well, I, I don't hang out with the people I used to hang out with. I think, well, you're going to use again. You know, if that's all you're doing, you know. I keep myself busy, you know. Um, that's one of the that's one of the best things you've ever you, you've ever told me over the years is when you ask people, well, what does recovery mean to you? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things we did in our I think our first or second podcast is we tried to you know put what the definition of being in recovery is. Mm -hmm. and SAMHSA mm -hmm. has one and all that, and, mm -hmm. and it really is more than just saying, oh well, I don't get high anymore. Right. There's so much right. more. You know, yeah. when we when people like you and I stopped getting high, Dave, it was like. Well, now what? 
Like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I still have all the problems. Yeah. I still got yeah. all the trauma from being a child. I still got all the things that I've done wrong. I still got all the money I owe, all the people I screwed over, all that. Like, how do yeah. I deal with yeah, this? Really, yeah. Like, what, uh, you know, what, what, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Uh, that's so, right. That's so right. in those last five, when you came into recovery, when you first came mm-hmm. into recovery, to, what, what kind of was the catalyst? What was it that said, okay, enough's enough, I'm going to do this? Well, you know, um, there was a, a period, you know, Drinking and alcohol, drugs and alcohol didn't bring me euphoria anymore during that last five years. You know, it was just, it was like just a transfusion so I could move. You know, it's just maintenance. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. There was no joy, um, and I was, um, I would go to bed at night and sh- just shake from fear, and I didn't know what I was afraid of, and sob in my pillow. You know. Um, despair just I mean it was it was hell that's that's what hell is you know Um, and it went on for months and I went to a scholarship dinner a fundraiser it was over like eight o'clock and I came home at one o'clock in the morning and my wife says you know know, how's up with this Um, and uh, she went to she went to work the next day I got up waited a few hours and then sent a dozen roses um, I spent a lot of money. You, you, get, I want you, you, you're, you're hear something you're going to want to bleep out. But um, so I waited. You know, I called her, and I said, um, uh, you know, I said, you get your roses. And she said, I don't want your fucking roses. You know. So when you send a woman roses, and that's what she says, you know, you're in the doghouse. Right? Mm-hmm. It's bad. Um, and and she said, I am worried about your drinking. And that what that was the moment that all this piled up stuff had been waiting for, you know, the despair, the fear, the loneliness, um, the, the isolation, the depression. Um, I said, I think I have a drinking problem. You and said that. that you said that to her. Yeah. That was it. It went away. Um, it's that moment of and surrender. She, that, that and she said, get some help or get out. She said, get some help or get out. And like a lot of people who go uh, into recovery, uh, we, don't, we don't walk in the door going, here I am, help me get well. You know? <laughs> I walk in the door to save my home. You know? I, I walk in the door so I didn't have to live on the street. You know? Um, and it takes takes some time to realize. You walk in going, are you going to help me like get my life back? <laughs> yeah. get it teaches me how to drink. <laughs> is everything going to be good? Yeah. Yeah. It teaches me how to not do this. Yeah. Um, and that's I'm like I'm one of those people. You know, I walked in the doors of recovery, and uh, to escape the consequences of my behavior. You know, because I lived with good intentions. You know, I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good employee. Failed at all of them. I did, but people judged me on my behavior. They didn't judge me on my intentions. You know, God, I didn't mean to. Oh no, God, I didn't yeah. mean to do that. Yeah. But you did. Right. <laughs> I, okay, yeah, I did, but I didn't mean it, right? So I just <laughs> and I have come. I've now come to that. That that very thing has has become a, a kind of a mantra for me. You know, because in in, in uh, where people where people slip and make a racist or sexist or homophobic comment or something like that and um and say oh you know betsy i, I i'm sorry i didn't mean that but betsy's feeling the pain of the insult right you're 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 feeling my denial of your humanity 
And I said, but I didn't, but I didn't mean it. Mm -hmm. you know? That was not said, my intention. But it still hurts. You know? And you're responsible for the hurt. I need you to take some responsibility for that rather than trying to dissociate yourself with it. You know? Rather than trying to dissociate yourself. Yeah, if I do that and you make me aware of it, I'm going to say, I'm really sorry. Thanks for making me aware of that. I won't do it again. Rather than, oh, no, no, no. That's not what I meant. You misunderstood. Yep. Now she has to defend it. Yep. Right? You know, Lizzie, <clears throat> Lizzie says often that, that I was judging myself by my intentions, but the world was judging me by my actions. And That's it exactly is such right. a clear delineation. Mm -hmm. Like, I really was saying, but you can't hold me accountable. I didn't mean to do it. And it's That's like, right. Well, yeah. Don't give a shit what you meant to do. That's you, right. You did it. And That's exactly right. That's the price you got to pay for. You know, I have a woman that works with us, and it's funny you say that because I swear a lot. It's, you know, one of the things that I have and and so I, I was using that word a lot so you know say that word a lot and, and she came into me and, and just in my office and just said that word really offends me would you just stop doing it around me if you mm -hmm. could and, and mm -hmm. I was by said yes I'm sorry and I will really try and over the the last few years since she said that to me uh, I mean a couple of times I've slipped up in anger or whatever right I tried really really hard yeah. to not yeah. do that because she said, she goes, it just offends wow. me. Like, to wow. you, it's just a word, but to me, it's, it offends That's me. That's right. And it's like, oh, okay, That's exactly well, I, I right. get that. I can, well, you I can know, I think that there's an intersection here that, you know, um, you know race and addictions and, and whatnot, but, but there is an intersection here that I think you're touching on, and that is, you know, um, when we are experiencing each other, okay, um, you are you're experiencing me from the entirety of your life every everything that you've been through everything you've experienced is right here right now and you're experiencing me that way and i don't know those things right i i don't know those things um but and people don't know those things about me either they just you know but if you tell me how you are experiencing me uh, i was standing outside a, a women's bathroom one time talking with a colleague a male colleague a woman walked out of the bathroom. We knew who she was, and she said, "Guys, it's it's just it's really creepy. I feel creepy coming out of the bathroom and and Two guys hanging you. out here in front of the bathroom door." And I could have said, "Oh, oh, no, 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 Merle, you misunderstood. I'm not a creep." I could have said that, which would have denied her experience, right? And her experience is truth. But I said, "You know, thanks, thanks for the awareness. I really appreciate." It. That was 25 years ago, and I have never stood right. outside a bathroom door, a women's bathroom door, you know, since that time. Because what I was doing made her feel, provoked a feeling of unease in her. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a creep. I'm not creepy. So if I had said that, it would have completely dismissed what she'd gone through. And then she would have to defend it. And then she would get mad. And then I'm going to go, what are you so mad about? Why are you people mad all the time? You know, don't, don't make them mad, you know. Right. And, so, and, uh, David, before we go forward, mm -hmm. and just because I really, I'm, I'm excited to continue this conversation or looking forward to where this is going to go, from a, from just a, a pure recovery standpoint, I just want to go back to that, that I'm just so captivated by that moment um, when you were in the jail cell and you had this real, I, I'm going to call it an awakening and an awareness. And even though that wasn't the moment with which mm -hmm. you, 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 Took your took your step into to sobriety. Mm -hmm. It feels like it was the defining moment that changed your life, even oh, yeah. though it took you yeah. five years. It was the seed, you know. Right. It, it was it was it was without doubt. It was the seed, and 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 I you know, when I was growing up, 
You know, um, I grew up. I grew up in a black neighborhood, and most of the people, most people were poor, working poor. I mean, everybody worked, you know, pretty much. I remember in the seventh grade, my social studies teacher said, was defining slums, and he said South Walnut Street's a slum. That's where I lived, you know, and and you know, so there was this, there was this neighborhood, if you will, and there was drunkenness and addiction and domestic violence and you know murders and, and all that kind of stuff but I didn't feel like that's where I lived but there were some lessons you know um, we might have been poor but uh, I didn't know it mm -hmm. you know um, we all we had, it was eight my parents owned their home I mean my, you know I was my I was born in 1950. I don't know when my parents bought their house, but they owned it, you know. Um, and so as a, some of those lessons that I learned was um, the worst thing you can be is an ignorant black person, you know, because you weren't, people didn't want you educated. It used to be against the law for you to learn to read and write and all this kind of stuff. and you are someone who can lose everything you have to the power and there won't be a goddamn thing you can do about it. If, but if you have knowledge, nobody can take that away from you. No one can take knowledge away from you. So that was, you know, that was, a, that was ingrained in me. That was a lesson, you know, that, that learning, is, learning is power and learning is resistance, you know. Um, the ancestors who, under the threat of death, learned to read and write, you know, their sacrifice. And so that was with me in that jail cell. Isn't you know? that, that kind of self thing? Like if I, if I learn, if I educate myself, and we're not talking about necessarily formal education, right, if I right. just become, the more, the, the more I understand, the more I'm able to take care of myself and the less dependent I am on other people or other outside influences or, or other, you know, if you want to just call it what it is, other white power or white yeah. privilege or whatever it, the case is. is it's it's a great, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's uh, yes, things, things like, like literacy, you know. Uh, liter literacy is the key that opens so many doors, you know. And there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a play that I read or a short story that I read of an enslaved man who was a craftsman. And he built you know, barns and houses and corrals and all. and so his owner would hire him out, you know, and he'd be gone for three, four, five days. Come back, bring the money, you know, and he said to his owner, "I don't. I think people are cheating you. I think you should teach me how to read and write, you know, and do numbers because then I'll know whether you're getting cheated or not, you know." So his owner said, "Okay, taught him how to read and write and do numbers, right?" And so. All of a sudden, uh, he's bringing home more money. He's bringing more money back to the plantation, you know. And and the plantation owner's thinking, you know, that was really smart of me, you know. And, and so you know, and so he would be hired out. He'd be gone for ten days, you know, building the barn, right? So he got hired out, gone for ten days, didn't come back. Gone for fourteen days, didn't come back. Didn't come gone for twenty days, didn't come back. Gone for thirty days, and so they start looking for him. And they come to this river crossing, you know, maybe it's the Ohio River, you get to the other side, you got manumission. He said, you seen so-and-so and so-and-so and so? Well, yeah, he, he came through here nine days ago, had freedom papers with him, you know, said he was a free man, wrote his own papers. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> hey, Dave, I want to, so let me just wrap up the, the personal stuff, because mm. you have a few personal stories, if you mm. can share. One, one is that in early recovery, your first wife, I believe, uh, yes. got cancer. Yes, and, yes. Uh, and that was tough for you, and I think you it had was. a tough time, and you made it through, though, without using. Just talk to oh, me exactly. about that, you know, I think it's profound. It is profound, and it's a, I have, you know, moments like that, so I, that, 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 uh, that give me um, a sense of purpose, you know, um, for every you and me, right? For you, you walk into a 12-step program, you walk into a treatment facility, I walk into a 12-step program, I walk into a treatment facility, there's 35 dead people, right? So the odds are against, were against us, you know? And, and I don't, I'm not under any illusion about why I'm not one of those 35, right, you know? Um, and so um, the gift of recovery to me means you didn't die and it wasn't, it wasn't for lack of trying. <laughs> we spent years trying to kill him. Yeah, 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 right. you know, just when, you know, it's like I played Russian roulette. You know, for 20 years. And so I didn't die, you know, not for the lack of trying, but I lived. And I don't think, I, I don't think that I was responsible for that. I think there's a power greater than me, or there are powers greater than me, I don't care how you define it, that, that kept me from dying, you know. And, and, that, and, and, there, and that was the purpose, you know. And the purpose is I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to be doing something about it. And it's supposed to be the gift of recovery that I have um, in order to, you know, uh, keep my recovery healthy and well and fresh. Um, I, I got to share. I got to give. I got to give it away. You know. And so, the um, uh, my wife told me to get some help or get out. That was in October of '85. I started going to 12-step meetings. I got. A, I got a counselor. Um, and then in um, November of 86, she found a lump in her breast. It turned out to be malignant. And for the next two and a half years, it was um, uh, chemotherapy, radiation, mastectomy, amputation of her right arm. And then two and a half years later, it killed her. And we had two kids. Uh, who, who, we had two kids. One was almost 11 when she passed, and the other one was almost six. And um, while I was grief stricken, you know, and heartbroken. And her mother was there, her father was there, her brother was there, our kids were there. And we were, I mean, we were all just heartbroken about it, you know. But I didn't despair. You know, I didn't despair like I did in that jail cell, you know. And that was the first time in really the first time in my life where where I put someone else first. Addicts and alcoholics don't do that, you know. I put someone else first. And Every, every need was met between the recovery community and our fellowship of Unitarian Fellowship of Athens, Ohio. Um, there was a, she had to go to um, radiation 35 miles away, 30 straight business days of radiation. And someone from our, our church took her every day. Wow. And every day at six o'clock, either the church or the recovery community, every day at six o'clock, there was a meal at my front door. Um, and there, there, I don't know if you know this one or not, but um, <clears throat> there was a day, and this, this was February of 89. They were done, you know, they sent her home, said, we can't do anything else for you. 
you know, go home, make her comfortable. And um, my my mother-in-law was there, my father-in-law was there, my brother-in-law was there, and my two kids were there. And I um, and I, I got into this headspace where I thought they all had a one-word vocabulary, and it was David, 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 David. And the walls started closing in on me. And I said, this is what I said. I said, God, if one more person says my name, I'm going to go crazy. And the doorbell rang. I mean, just like that, doorbell rang. I went to the doorbell. It was my sponsor. Hmm. I said, I'm going to the store. When I get back, you got to give me something. I left. I came back. Um, I said, I, and I didn't even tell him what was going on. I said, you got to give me something. You have to give me something now. And he said, uh, this too shall pass. Hmm. And when it passes, she's going to be gone, and you're still going to be here. And it went away. I wrote, I mean, I got an essay called God Rings the Doorbell. <laughs> you did, I did know that, that story. You told me. So, uh, let, yeah. so, so as we progress here and talk about mm -hmm. the whole racial part, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a lot of what we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. In those days when there were 30 people bringing you meals and stuff, I'm making the assumption that some of those people were white, some of those people were black. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I Absolutely. think that's one of the things that you and I have always talked mm -hmm. about, that in, in the rooms of recovery, for some reason, this whole idea of racial divide just falls by the wayside. And you have some great stories. And one of the, the best talks you and I ever had, we were sitting at your kitchen table, and you, you, you said something to me about, I never met a Republican that I liked until I got to know you. And I think I said something kind of off the cuff that I'm not sure I ever mm -hmm. met a black person that I liked until mm -hmm. I got to know you. <laughs> and you and I have been really good friends from mm -hmm. before that and even after that. And we've been able to bridge that gap. We've been able to joke about it, have serious conversations about it, talk about mm -hmm. it, all of that mm -hmm. stuff. And I don't know necessarily why that is. And, and so I'm interested on your perspective as to well, you why know, that is. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Mike. And um, the same sponsor, okay? Um, Does this happen to be a guy we both know? You've he never met him, oh, okay. and he just passed about two years okay. ago. Um, but um, his name is Gary, Gary C. And um, in my hometown, they used to have a golf tournament, uh, uh, and it was a tournament honoring the first black JC. Okay, and so every year there was a golf tournament, uh, play golf. What's a JC? I'm sorry. Uh, the, it's a service club. Uh, J the JCs. Yeah. Oh, it's like a, yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. They had a golf course and all that kind of stuff. And, and so this tournament was honoring Mr. Lomax, who was actually my mailman when I was a kid. Um, and so I would go. And, I, and, and when I got into recovery, I took, just, just like some of the trips we make, I took guys in the program with me to Chillicothe to play in this golf alley. And so Mitch has been, I, I took these took three, four guys, and uh, Don drove. Uh, and so we're um, sitting at the banquet, and Don gets up and goes over to the keg and gets a beer. You know, and, uh, uh, and then he, got, he drank it and went and got another one. And he went and got another one. Of course he did. And I said to Gary, I said, what's going on here? He goes, he said, I thought you knew. I said, no, I didn't know. So, all right, we move forward, and Gary's telling me that um, he and Don are standing up on a tee, on a green, overlooking the next tee. And Don says to Gary, you ever seen as many niggers? Yeah. And Gary told me that. And I, and I, I came out of my chair. Yeah. I said, are you kidding me? 
I'm the guy who took the guy who used the word, right? And, and Gary said to me, what are you going to do if he comes back? Stop me cold. And I said, I'll be the first person to cross the room and shake his hand, you know, because there's only one purpose in recovery, you know. Nothing can detract from recovery, you know. So if that guy walked in the door tomorrow, I'd be the first person to cross the room and shake his hand, you know. Nothing gets in the way of that. I don't care what it is, you know. For me, you know, that, I mean, that doesn't mean that we don't have people in the rooms, you know, who might be bigoted or, or biased or whatever or intolerant. But in my recovery, um, I cannot, I will not conduct myself in a way that turns somebody away. You know, if you're in the rooms, I'm going to put my hand out to you, you know, no matter what you've done, you know. Um, yeah, it's not a, you know, it's funny. I had a counselor back when I first came in who said I was complaining about people in, in recovery. And he said, look, there's shitheads in every organization. That's right. No matter what it that's is. That's exactly right. But the vast number of people, and, and I always think of it in terms of what Sherry, you mm -hmm. know, our good friend Sherry mm -hmm. says, that, which is why so much of that stuff falls by the wayside in the rooms of recovery, whichever program it is, typically has to do with the fact that we recognize our common suffering. We recognize the part about hanging a sheet from the pipe at a Durango jail and hanging yourself or doing whatever it is. And, and so we look beyond race and gender mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sexual orientation yeah. and all those yeah. things because we understand that at its core, we're going to die. And well, that's exactly you right. You may be the only person who can help me today mm -hmm. not to die, regardless of what the color of your skin is that's or right. the color of my that's skin That's right. Is. And I'll but tell you the truth, you know. And, and you know, al along the way, Mike and Betsy, there's, uh, you know, they're called 12-step programs. They're not one-step programs. <laughs> <laughs> <All right? laughs> you know, uh, if, if, if there are one-step programs, you know, you put away the pipe, you put the plug in the jug, and it's like, I'm free, honey. You know? well, I wanted it to be a four-step program. One, I know I'm screwed up. Two, I'm sorry. Everybody forgive me. Three, let me save the world. And four, let me find a wife. Give me a company to run. Give me a company to run. You know, it, but it's not, you know. So what happens, you know, that, that our, our actions and behaviors and, and, and our, our whole being as active addicts um, is, is just creates wreckage, wreckage and carnage in people's lives, you know, not just our own. And so uh, there's these 11 other steps, you know, that say, now clean all this shit up. <laughs> and, and if you try to do that, I mean, if a person just tries, you know, um, with just a mustard seed of faith, you know, the mustard seed meeting in, in, in Manhattan. They give you a mustard seed when you're a beginner. Yeah, that's right. This is all the faith you need, you know? That's at one of the oldest meetings in the country. I think, Dave, it's kind of hard to, I think that if you actually apply the principles of a 12-step program or a good faith or any of those things, I don't think you can be bigoted and be doing those things at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's, I think that the, the love factor comes in mm -hmm. too much that you can't, mm -hmm. you, you can't just have that, like you can't they don't go together like well if yeah if you're practicing and living this you're not going to feel that way well i agree and i think that you know uh, um it for starters there there i i don't know that i've that i've run across anybody in in my time in recovery who who does recovery you know who practices it practices it in some way shape or form in their lives steadfastly you know and honestly who hasn't bettered their life, you know? 
um, and you know people. Uh, I mean, from the from the simple simple thing of getting off probation or getting off parole or getting a driver's license back. But we've watched people get jobs. We've watched people go back to school, get educated. Um, we've watched uh, people get their kids back. You know, Tanya. I watched. You know, talked to Tanya, and you know she had a. Um, uh, associate's degree, and I talked to her. I said, "Come on over here, and, you know, get your get your bachelor's. Come on, come on, you can do this, you know, in this program." And I sit in my office at the university, and I see her just, you know, walking and you know digging a rut as she walk, 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 smoking. I said, "Roger, what's wrong?" She goes, "I I can't stand being in the classroom with some other people." I said, "Shut up and get your ass back in that room and go to college." You know, she got a degree. You know? People better in their lives, you know, and. I don't think we can, those other 11 steps tell us we have to examine our lives, you know, and we have to live an examined life. And in living that, we look at our shortcomings, you know, we look at, you know, uh, like I'm judgmental, I'm critical, you know, I'm impulsive, you know, uh, and Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, you know that about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, suddenly, the thought occurred to me, <laughs> I can use my driver. Suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> that occurred to me. So, you know, you know the beauty of that, I think it's seven, eight years ago now, and I want to talk about your whole take on, on like, just race and recovery mm -hmm. and that, but before we do that, you know, this is cool because it's so personal to me mm -hmm. and so germane to me. And we, we could bring on somebody else to talk about race, but for you and I, we have this history now, and it's actually a fairly long history. And seven or eight years ago, I forget how many it was, you invited us to this golf tournament that you and this guy, Mitch, that mm -hmm. we've gotten to know have been uh, going to for years. And you invited me and Bud. And so the three of us, now we don't all know each other all that well. We kind of, okay, we're going to hop in a car and we're going to drive 13 hours to Withville, Virginia. We're going to spend three days together playing golf Then we're going to get in the car and drive back. Close quarters. 13 hours. <laughs> Close quarters. <laughs> and we're all like, I think we're all a little nervous. I won't speak for you, but for me, I was a little nervous. And so there's Dave and I sitting in the front and there's Bud in the back. And if you don't know Bud, Bud is a great guy who just is great at throwing out these little things understanding that Dave and I are just going to like, oh, that's going to start like a, a war. And it, the funny thing was, it never started war. It mm -hmm. started great dialogue. Mm -hmm. We laughed, we mm -hmm. joked, we cried. We, we had incredible conversation. And that first trip when we got back, I remember going somewhere a week or two later with you. And you made a comment in a group of people that we never had a crossed word on that trip. Like we, been, we had 13 hours in the car, three hours together at a golf, or three days together at a golf tournament, 13 hours on the way back, and we never had a crossed word. And I think that that's such a tribute to you and to mm -hmm. me and to Bud for being able to recognize that at the core is this genuine love for each other. Absolutely. We, we differ yeah. in the way we see Absolutely. the world and things yeah. like that, but our genuine love for each other allowed us to to do that and and i remember one other thing you and i it was after one of the mass shootings i think i went to starbucks with mm -hmm. you and i said dave we need to do something to change the world we need more love in this mm -hmm. world we need more recovery mm -hmm. and we need this to be part of the world because mm -hmm. somehow we're able to manage this we're able to to joke and have serious conversations and all that but recognize i don't care what color your skin is it doesn't right. matter to right. me it, you're my friend yeah that's right and yeah like how do we do that like how do we what do we do going forward to <clears throat> change that you know that's you know i i think that that's that's one of the you know you know we we've been given that you and i didn't we didn't do anything you know i mean you know that's 
that's a that's a gift of recovery, and and I think for me in, in that car ride, I mean it we didn't we didn't have any cross words, but it wasn't because we were avoiding talking about something. You know what I mean? That's right. It was don't you know walk on eggshells, don't say that, don't you know? Um, we we had some I thought some uh, pretty intense and and deep honest discussions, and that's the first time in my life where. Um, I've ever listened to a person who had a different political orientation, honestly, you know, and listened for why. And what small business owner, employees, you know, worker compensation, uh, 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 unemployment insurance, insurance, you know, uh, and listening to that and, and understanding that, you know, that your politics are associated with your well-being. You know, and 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 the well-being of your business, and that there's a lot of stuff that you have to look out for and pay attention to that I had never thought about. Right. Likewise, me as an educator and a mental health counselor, um, my politics are also shaped by by that. You know, and so my my politics as it relates to my career and stuff like that um, are more uh, career-wise and treatment-wise and services-wise. We do better when there are Democratic administrations in Congress, okay? You do better when there are Republican, and it's just, that's just the way it is. And I understood that for the first time, you know? Um, and then, and then, but I didn't get a sense of intolerance from you, you know? Because I know you said, I don't care who you marry, I don't care where you live, you know, you do what you want. And so, so, so there's this social part for, that from this world that I lived in, that was incongruent with your politics, you know. That's why I started calling you a closet Democrat. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which, as time has gone on, he has absolutely began to lean a little bit lefter. All right, so wait a minute. Time out. But, right. but, I, mean, I, did, I did have one other thing I wanted to say there, and that was it's the, pro, it's the importance of the recovery program, you know. It's the importance of the 12-step program. That is elevated above all else. And I remember saying to you, you cannot say anything that's going to make me not love you. You can't. And, and why? Not because you're some great, you know, tremendous. No, you're just a drunk and a drug addict like me. And, but because we're in this program and because it has a primary purpose and nothing can get in the way with that, then I am not going to let anything get in the way of that. You, know? you and I had, a, you and I had that, that very similar feeling that, that mm -hmm. we... Uh, probably the reason why this has been able to work in that is because no matter what, I always put the fact that I care about you as a person and, a, and an addict in recovery mm -hmm. more than any of the other stuff. And I remember on, on the, those early trips and some of the other conversations we had, the, the flip side of that for me is, you know, I, I like to think that I'm not bigoted. I, mm -hmm. I suppose there's some in me, mm -hmm. maybe there mm -hmm. is, a, you know, I don't know, and you and I have had that conversation, but I can remember when you were talking to me about your experience and the black experience, and, and I was like, well, just get out of the city then, get out of the slums and go get a job, and, and you were like, well, but it's not that easy, you know, the schools don't have mm -hmm. the same books that they're able to mm -hmm. get in white areas and things, and all those things are not things that I, I think... I didn't believe. I just didn't think about them because they right. weren't my That's experience. Exactly. Yeah, I, was right. like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't like you know. I was looking at it, going, "Well, just quit being lazy and go do something." Yeah, right. To yeah, exactly. Say to me, no, it's not mm -hmm. necessarily mm -hmm. that. And I, I think the point is when we when we get to a place where we continue to paint with this broad brush, that 
that's when we don't we're not listening to each other and I right. think for whatever reason you and I were able to and have yeah. been able to for a lot of years to listen to each other well you know you're hitting on something that's okay so we go back to the thing your experience your experience my experience you know we have these experiences now there was a time in my life okay where um, I, I lived in Tallahassee Florida and we smoked pot every day every day you know I didn't miss a day for two years we, and we grew it and it was good right <laughs> but there was a time in this group of people where we in our experience we, this is like 1974 73 we really believed that everybody smoked pot you know and so our experience was encapsulated right and but it drove our assumptions of normalcy right so there you are your experience is encapsulated but go get a job you know we make assumptions of normalcy based upon our own experience and and when we when we take those assumptions of normalcy across an intersection to uh to someone who's different it doesn't apply you know like your kid um uh i have an adopted child right and so he's in an elementary school classroom and uh they're doing a family tree and they get worksheets on a family tree and just do your family do your family and my son says, I don't, I don't know this, I'm adopted. Or just do it anyway. See, assumptions of normalcy, right? Um, you're, 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 in a, you're an elementary school kid, and you're in a classroom, and your parents are divorced, right? And the teachers, you know, they bring in somebody to talk about banana splits. And banana splits is a program for children from broken homes. So you're like eight, right? And you got a mom and a dad, and your divorce has been amicable. And, you know, and you know your, your your dad's house is over there, your mom's house is over here. You you go back and forth. You have two Christmases. You have two homes, two birthdays. You think life's pretty good, and so much turn you from a broken home, mm -hmm. and you got to try to conceptualize that. My home. What does that mean? What's broken? My home's bro not broken. Assumptions of normalcy. Yeah. Well, you know that's that. I had the same thing. The, the epiphany for me that was similar to that whole pot smoking story was weddings. You know, I remember the first wedding I went to when I was in recovery, and my idea of a wedding was. A wedding is just a big drunk fest. Everybody gets loaded. Women are stripping out on the floor. People are going home with it. Like that's yep, what yep, my yep. assessment. That's the bridesmaid, the groom, or the groom. You know. The, the, then yeah. I go to this wedding and I recognize <laughs> that there's only two out of twenty tables with really drunk people. The rest of the people are relatively <laughs> normal, eating dinner, having a good time, talking. And I'm like, what's wrong with this wedding? Like I'm thinking, like this is a fucked up wedding. Not uh, that this is the right <laughs> way. Because my perception was every wedding I ever went to, I was with the people who all got drunk. So I figured that was just what happened yeah, at every yeah. wedding. Like, everybody <laughs> just got drunk. That was what I kind of thought. So can I, I you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, there's a, a couple of things You've that I'm... very quiet. I know. Well, you know, every time, every time really David deep. talks... For me, it's it's just it's kind of I don't know it, it kind of fills my soul because it's so um, it's just so profound I don't and and it, and it's thoughtful. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you, you fill my freaking tolerance level up to here. Yes, David, let me make it about. But but it's it's just so I think it's just so so thoughtful. Mm. And uh, mm. and it just touches me in mm -hmm. just these really deep places mm. and makes me think. So I, I hear these stories about about um, a connection in recovery that has 
um, allowed you both to come to a place and a new level of understanding and acceptance of race, of differences. And, and, and so the question I think that, that, that kind of lives in me at this point is what is foundational to your processes that would then allow our country to hear from, you know, to, to, to be able um, to navigate racial, racial recovery? You know, um, you know Betsy, I think that's a um, I, would, I mean, if I had the answer to that one, I'd be on television right, right. now. Right. Well, you're you're going to be on television, but not quite. Listen, we're going to we're going to be Oprah, Oprah someday. <laughs> um, but you know, oh, I, I think there's 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 two pieces to that for me, um, and uh, uh, what what I think we don't have as a country as a people. Um, and, and it, it actually intersects here in Plattsburgh, and this may be some kind of romanticized stuff by me, but I, I don't care. But um, uh, one of the founders of the Post-Step Program was stationed here in Plattsburgh um, uh, uh, at, at the break, break out, outbreak of World War I. Um, and out there on the parade grounds where my kid played soccer and we'd go to the gym and all that, that this, this, this person's footprints are out there. Right? And um, this is also uh, a big, big time area on the Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, John Brown, uh, all abolitionists and people who ferried people, uh, you know, if you could get to Vermont or Quebec. Nobody can make you go back. If you got caught in New York, if you were, if you were uh, uh, an escaped enslaved person, and you got caught in New York. It was a fugitive slave state. They could send you back. But if you got to Vermont or Quebec, um, they couldn't. You're free. My son and I, um, my youngest and I, reenacted a crossing of the of the lake um, on the Weatherwax, which was a boat that ferried people from here to Vermont. You know, and so. How close did their footsteps come? You know, how close did you know the founders' footsteps come to the people on the Underground Railroad? You know, and and what was essential in both of those? Well, I think that the abolitionists at the core, you know, I mean, Harry, Harry Tubman was a Christian. You know, um, abolitionists for the most part were, were spiritual, religious people, and at the core of their belief system about freedom was that it was moral. Mm -hmm. It was a moral issue. You know, and it was a therefore it was a spiritual issue. And at the core of recovery for me and many people, it's a spiritual issue. You know, it's a it's a living, uh, living spirituality in a way that um, that 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 helps me walk upright and put my feet in front of one another and think about how I affect people and whatnot. And and I think that that's that's what they share in common, and that's why I owe so much to those who went before me. You know, and that that intersects here in Plattsburgh, New York. I sat in a church in a meeting one time on a Sunday night and um, realized I had read earlier in the day in the paper about the Underground Railroad and churches in and around Plattsburgh. And I was sitting in a church that was on the Underground Railroad mm -hmm. that, you know, had a false altar and they'd hide people in there and stuff like that and, and sitting there seeking my freedom, right? Um, it's just, a, it's a powerful image for me. Um, and so I think that what it, you know, you're asking me, what, what's at the core? What do we not have? I, I, don't, I just don't think we have this, and I'm not talking about religion. I just don't think we have a sense of spirituality that, that um, 
promotes us uh, caring more for each other. You know? Do you, you know? think that it might be a lack of, and, and I don't know how to, how to phrase this, common spirituality. Mm. So your mm -hmm. spirituality may be founded in, in uh, you know, some may be God, some may be Jesus right, Christ, exactly. Your, exactly. or spirituality mm -hmm. for some people in recovery have nothing to do with actual, yeah. actual mm -hmm. religion. It's, it's a foundational mm -hmm. yeah. sense of... I would, yeah, I think you're right. And I would say spirituality is simple as I'm beholden to you. Before you, mm. before, and before you answer that, I, I think that what you're saying, you know, we did one of our early podcasts, we talked about this, and we talked about the whole, as, as soon as the, the kind of word God or Christian or Jesus Christ or any of those things comes out, the hair on the back of everybody's neck stands up. And I think the point that you're making, and you and I agree on this, is that you don't need to have this rigid religious thing. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Right. If you want yeah, to go to church right. and do that, that's yeah, fine. That's fine. You don't yeah. need to have that to be a spiritual That's thing, exactly right. Living a spiritual yeah. life. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's a lot of the place mm -hmm. where people get hung up on it, is they have to put a label on it. There has right. to be a label right. for me. I'm not spiritual if I don't have a label. To that's right. Yeah. To this thing, then you know, I don't have a label, but you know, some of the stuff that you talked about, it, it and I love the way that you phrase it, it really does come down to those simple things. And first off, you have to remember that the beauty of what we have that you don't share is that our common suffering, that that desperation place that we got to, that that you can't recreate in your mind because you didn't get there, is what allows us to put all the other petty, I shouldn't call them petty, but all the other prejudices mm -hmm. aside mm -hmm. because we recognize what the end result can be if we don't do that. And, and mm -hmm. that, and so I don't know how you get all of American society to suffer from something in common so that then the commonality can come together. You always hope that things like a 9-11 or a pandemic or something would do that. It would force mm -hmm. us all to look and go, you know what, this pandemic doesn't discriminate. I mean, it is has more of an effect on, on minority communities. There's probably reasons for that that don't necessarily have anything to do with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. They may have to do mm -hmm. with the fact that there's mm -hmm. not as healthy people, the yeah, food right. is not, you know, there are Inner a lot city of living, close right. quarters, I mean, breeding. And so, you know, how in American society do you get us all to look at this, you know, commonly? I, and you well, and I, you know, you're, yeah, and I think that, that um, there is, there's, there's something to the suffering part. I mean, there really is, there really is something to that. And I don't, I don't know how to articulate it. Um, but, you know, um, Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, um, was a was a, um, a prisoner at Auschwitz, and and one of the things that he that he observed in the midst of this hell, I mean, that's, you know, in the midst of, of this horrendous enduring hell, was some people laid down and died, mm -hmm. and some people lived, you know, um, and what was it? What is it? You know, and you know, he this gave rise to existentialism and all that kind of stuff, or the theory of existentialism as a counseling theory, but, but the reality of the matter is, is that somewhere in there, he stumbled upon humanity, you know, um, in experiencing the worst that of, of human, uh, of human behavior, the worst of humanness. Um, almost, it's almost impossible for me to call it human, but in there found this kernel of uh, faith. I don't know. I didn't know what to say. Found this kernel of hope, of uh, something about the human spirit, something 
you know, the human spirit, let's call it that. The human spirit is something that we all share. Um, and But it can be degraded. Um, it can be degraded and and people can also be, my human spirit was degraded, okay? Um, but other people's uh, human spirit can be anesthetized and it can be anesthetized by the material world, okay? Um, and because faith in materialism uh, will will make a person, will turn a person into someone who will exploit someone else for their own gain. Right. And so I think that the, ma the material world is too important in the world that we live in. And that the, the, the amassing of money and the amassing of things um, makes, uh, um, elevates material above humanness and, and the spiritual. And, and I, I think that we're way tipped. And everybody wants a nice place to live. Everybody deserves to have transportation to work. You know, uh, everybody, everybody deserves the American dream. I mean, it's there, right? Um, but uh, when, when the dream is a driven fantasy, uh, then we get gluttony. And, you know, instead of one decent vehicle, I got four and they all cost $400,000. Instead of one nice home, I've got one here, I've got one in Hilton Head, I've got one in LA, I've got one in El Baja, and I've got one in Cabo. You know, and, and, I, and I think that that hurts us tremendously. And, you know, satisfaction, and, and I think that when a person is addicted to the material world, there's no satisfaction or fulfillment. You know, you cannot find satisfaction or fulfillment and you in can the never, And you can never, you know, when you get addicted to the material world, it's always about you chasing what other people That's right. have. Yep. And so yep. no matter who it is, like I can amass more than Dave Stone mm -hmm. has, so mm -hmm. then I need to look for the next person who has yep. more yep. so that I can get more than them. So until you get to the absolute top, you're never satisfied with what you have. And then you say, you're right, and, and if you've got more than me, and I'm, I'm, I'm in that trail, yeah. I envy what you got. Yeah. Envy's a sin, envy's a deadly sin, right? So I'm gonna get what you got. And then when I got more than everybody else, I'm gonna say, I want what God's got. You know what, Lizzie? Lizzie, <laughs> Lizzie makes a great comment about, about this, talking about that some of the greatest things that we've ever done in our marriage and some of the greatest things that you and I have done didn't really cost any money or very little yeah. money. Like, it's not, you know, it is cool to have money. It's cool to be able to get on a yeah. plane and go to the right. Caribbean and have a right. nice week on. I mean, all of those things are nice, but they don't provide me the internal joy that I get out of doing this, which doesn't, like this is just a yeah, dialogue. This doesn't cost anything. And what you have in the bank, what you know, what you have materially, assets, don't come close to the wealth that you have 100%. in your life, in the relationships. And that's, see, that's the thing about the existential piece, and that is, is that um, it's the relationship, mm -hmm. and it's the relationships where authenticity runs the show. So there is this piece, and I, and I apologize, David, mm. but, you know, I continue, so, you know, trying to solve the world's problems here. I'm sitting here kind of amidst um, two men in recovery that share this, this common suffering that allows... Two really great men. Two, two so, well, one really amazing <laughs> man. And one arrogant one. And one... <laughs> <laughs> and have Mike. <laughs> and, 
and you know feeling like I'm not in the cool kids club because I don't have the common suffering that gives you this bond and this connection that I think has been incredibly healing uh, on a bigger level which is okay. I mean, I'm okay because I'm I'm still kind of I'm I'm like a an honorary member of at least being in well, the being that, in the oh, spirit of oh, that. Oh, Betsy, you're. I got to tell you something though. I, uh, I'm sorry for interrupting you. But okay. I have to tell you this. I don't agree with you. Um, and and you know that you don't share that because I remember the first time I ever met you. Yeah. And I'm standing there. And I meet you. Mike introduces me to you. And I'm standing there. I'm going. Oh my God, this woman is fully present. She is so fully present. Knocked me over. You know? mm. Now, in another time in my life, I would have interpreted that differently. You know? I, I would have interpreted that. You would that. thought I would hit, was hitting on oh, you or something? Oh, nah, yeah, right. <laughs> you were just saying, you were all just waiting for you to say when and where. But in recovery, and that's one of the things recovery has taught me, you know, I, could, I, I actually now know what it means to love women, okay? Um, because it used to mean, <laughs> it used to mean having sex with them. That's not love, right? Right. Um, and I used to, and, and I can love men, and I used to be afraid, you know. But now I don't have to be afraid. But I thought you, you, I could see you. I could see your aura. I could see mm. your spirit, you know. And so I would, I would not, I would not, I would not say you're not in the club. I would not say well, you're not. Well, thank in the club you for that. Because you are so damn fully present. Thank all you. the time thank and it's you. like and it's like uh, and and now that i know it i have to kind of get ready for it <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna see betsy today you can't be taken off guard by that you know so i don't agree with you i i you're well, you I, I mean i i experience you i experience you as a person who is who is who values the connectedness yes and in the connectedness is the spiritual and that's what makes I, you one of us. I think, can I, can I just, I, I think that you're right about that. And I, I think that we joke with you and all that. And, and even in our company mm -hmm. where we have so many people that mm -hmm. are in recovery, a lot of people who are not in recovery are like, this isn't cool because I'm not one of the cool kids. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't get mm -hmm. it. And I, I think the point of that is that, yeah, first off, I don't think Dave or I would ever wish the suffering that we went through yeah. on anybody to have to get this. The goal is, you know, how do you, what do you do to not have to go through the suffering but still be able to get it? And on some level, you do. Like it's, it's well, yeah. And what is addiction? Part of addiction is about not wanting to be present, right? Not wanting to be present. So here we are, you know, not anesthetized anymore, living an examined life, trying to be present, you know, you know. And here's a person who's fully present. Now, I had a brother. Um, now, my, my parents had six kids, five of us lived to adulthood, all five of us are addicts and alcoholics, there are four of us left. The one who passed away, my brother Harold, uh, was, was an alcoholic, and a, it was an alcoholic, and he would not have been able to stay in a room with you. Really? Your, with your presence. It would have driven him from the room, he could, couldn't take it. He just, he could not take it. Hmm. Um, and, um, and, and, I don't, and I don't know, I don't know what the threat was to his psychological, you know, infrastructure or whatever, but he couldn't stand, he couldn't stand that, you know? And so I find, you know, so that, so here's the deal then, as a, as a recovering person, as a black man, um, and so here you are and fully present, and you're, you're going to, you're going to interact with me and experience me, and you're going to allow me to show you who I am, rather than you, deciding who I am based upon what you see. Right. 
it's right. just critical. And you know, I've in this program, you know, of uh, recovery, um, I have I've seen bigoted people stop being bigoted. I saw a man stand up in a meeting. This, this man stand. He was in a meeting, sitting next to my friend Mark M. And Mark M. is a gay man. And this man came to this meeting for months and months and months and months and months. And he stood up in a meeting and said to Mark, "You make it really hard for me to be homophobic." <laughs> I you know, love I'm that. Like, That's a gift. I love that. You know, is that a, is a gift. I love that. There is. A, it is one of the things that I've always really loved about having you as my friend mm. is that we have been able to joke about that. Like I can joke with you about race, and it it's it doesn't. It, like we're okay doing it. Like that's right. Have, yeah. There's yeah. a great deal of yeah. humor yeah. in our lives, yeah. and and I think that's probably because there's not venom to it. It's not yeah. the. It's yeah. done in a like we know how we. Well, yeah. We can. You're right. We can joke about it. We can joke about it, and we do joke about it. And you just made me realize, in my recovery, I have never told any of the jokes that I told when I was drinking. Not any of. It's different. It's, it's, it's really it's different, a, it's you know. Different, it's different. really yeah. so. It certainly seems to me like somewhere amidst your recovery, you've gone to this this place of commonality. Um, you've you've reduced what, and I love this term anesthetize anesthet. Say the word for me. Anesthetized. Anesthetized, um, which is I think a you know a condition mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. much of society probably suffers mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. and what recovery has done has allowed has allowed this connection which then allows you to be able to have the most challenging conversations mm -hmm. that don't land or sit sit right. poorly and wrong and and somewhere in that I think and I think that that Rochelle Gregory um, when she was here with us she talked about how um, you know even even uh, people who have had adverse childhood experiences, ACEs scores, and, and then therefore have suffered this trauma, the ones we have to figure out how we build a resistance and or, or resilience. Mm -hmm. And it certainly begins to feel like me that somewhere in the rooms of recovery, whatever your recovery program, there's this resist resilience that, that seems to kind of kind of generate and it and, and it's generated what I think is a, is a racial healing for yeah. both of you and your relationship and there's got to be something well, in that, that. Yeah. and that's the part you know that's in like that. it's, it, they're not one step programs right you know and and I, I think that um, you know and, and not not that we don't have intolerant people you know um, you know you know um, not that we don't have people who never get past some of that stuff and um, I you know all I can do is try not to be a part of it and try not to make a contribution to it and given the opportunity to, to call it out and 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 spell that out to someone um, what you know it, and and so yeah I don't I don't want to paint I don't want to paint a picture that we don't have any of that you know that's not true you know um, and these golf outings that that uh, you know we, we've been on and uh, uh, Mitch is, is, you know, was the, a, a man that, that I met the day I came into the rooms, and I've known him for 35 years, um, and uh, we'd go to these golf outings and, and you know, driving from Ohio to uh, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and, 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 you know, driving past a golf course in South Carolina, and he says, maybe we should try to stop and play there, and I said, I don't think we can play there, you know, and, you know, he goes, what, and I said, I don't think I can play there. Mm. And he gets it, you know. He gets it. And then, you know, 
we get down to, to the golf lines with these other recovering men, and, and Mitch is telling me that, you know, you know, four or five straight holes, this guy hits a golf ball and goes, isn't that just like hitting a you-know-what in the ass? And does it three or four times. And Mitch finally says to him, dude, my sponsor's a black man. I, I really need you to stop that. You know? And I didn't get mad. I just stayed away from the guy. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be in proximity to him. I don't hate him. You know? But given what's coming out of his mouth, I don't, I, don't have, I don't have any reason to want to breathe the same air that he breathes. So I stay out of his way. So the next year, I go back down. Right? This guy's on the host committee. You know? And I walk up to the table at the golf course. Dave, how you doing? You know, this is the same guy that was using the N-word all through the golf course, you know, the whole, you know, until Mitch asked him to stop. You know, they got shirts and, and hats and stuff, and he goes, what size shirt do you wear? And he comes around the table, throws his arms around me, you know, says, here, you know, you like this color, you know, what size, you know, here's, take two. You know, he, people only getting one, he goes, take two. And I'm thinking, holy shit. <laughs> uh, I think I'll get three. <laughs> and the man, the man is transformed, you know. Do you, and do you think it was because of the, you know, that, think, that awareness that he had? I think it's because of something that he did in his program. I think some, yes. some work I think that, that he did. I think yep. that Dave's right. And the, yep. the part that I, that I agree and disagree with you, I guess, is I don't think it's possible to be living the program the way that it's outlined that we live and to still remain bigoted long term. Like those people that are bigoted have been living in a one step program, mm -hmm. not in the. That's right. Thing. Yes. You know, for huh. those yep. of us that have yep. been yep. work, that's you, true. You get to this place where you, that mm -hmm. stuff falls from uh, you. Yeah. So, hey, Dave, as we get close to wrapping up here, I think we would be remiss to not talk about. Uh, one of my favorite women in the world, who is your wife, who is, hmm. you know, hugely probably responsible for a lot of where you are, what kind of human being you are. And, and it, Jean Ann is obviously a white woman. You're mm -hmm. married to a mm -hmm. white woman. What mm -hmm. has that been like, just in a kind of a nutshell? Well, you know, um, you know an okay, yeah, and, and I think that, I think that um, the, first, the first thought that comes to mind is that we work at not allowing the world and it's uh, and it's some of its warped perceptions define who we are mm -hmm. you know i i'm not i'm not going to become who you think i am you know as a matter of fact i'm going to work really hard to show you something different and so uh that that that's us that's who we are and you know my uh partner jean ann is a um she's a passionate uh um pursuer of social justice. Um, she is, uh, she fights every day for equity for people. Um, she has a black son, you know, um, who, uh, you know, and watching that tape, you know, the trial is going on now, but watching that tape, uh, she could imagine that that was her son. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and White women who are parents of black kids are invisible. You know, they don't get thought about in that. You know, um, and that's a powerful, powerful um, message of her pain right? uh, around this. And you know, we have uh, we, we've had a, we've had a very good life. Twenty-seven years. We twenty-eight years in May, and uh, we have. Four kids, blended family. We have four kids. They're all great. You've you've met them all, um, and we have uh, we have a, a good life. And 
turmoil and stuff from when we figure out that somebody, it doesn't take long to figure out that somebody doesn't approve, right? You know, I'm not inviting you back, right? I mean, I've been 15 years in, in Plattsburgh, okay? 15 years in Plattsburgh, and we're, we're, we're gatherers. We, we bring, you know, we gather people together in our home, you know? And my home is a refuge. My home is a harbor. Um, and if you got any of that stuff in you, and I figure it out, you're not coming back. There's 15 years, probably four people been in my house. I've never invited back. And I'm not mad at them. You don't belong here. You don't belong in this, you know. And so we build, I think our life is built on um, having like-minded people, having people committed to, to justice and fairness and, 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 and a spiritual orientation of some kind, right? You can, right. You can be flowers. I don't care, you know. That we that our humanity is is clear to each, it's clear to each other. I can see yours. You can see mine. I don't deny you yours. You don't deny me mine. And I I, I like our life. You know, it's been very good. Um, and you know, I think that even though we live these examined lives, it doesn't mean that my language and my thinking. Um, and my orientation is free of distortion, okay? Um, you know, if I talk to a, a, a counselor at a treatment program in September of 1985, a month before I got sober, and that person said to me, well, we don't think you need inpatient. You could probably do outpatient. That's what they said. What I heard was, I'm not that bad. <laughs> So I'm capable of distortion, you know, and I'm also and I'm also capable of distorting, you know, you know, when I was talking earlier about your presence and what that would have meant to me when I was drinking and drugging, um, I would have interpreted that sexually. That's a that's a distortion, and it's a and it's a distortion of who you are, um, and it's my distortion of who you are. So it doesn't mean that that's 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 all that hasn't all gone away, right? I have to work on that every day. And so when someone tells me, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I have students. I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 70 years old. I'm raised on the binary model, right? That's, I mean, you know, male, female, right? My students are telling me, you know, bi binary is arbitrary. It's, you know, it's stratified, you know, it's continuum. And, and so I say, oh, oh, thank you, you know, thank you for teaching me that. And now, if I make an example or something like that, and I use the binary, would you remind me? That it's not binary because I need your help. You know, I need your help to broaden my awareness, right? And 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 I, and I'll ask for that, and I'll thank you for it when you do it. You know, so it's work. It's it that work didn't stop. You know, it's I've been doing that all my life, and you know, and I, I get you know I get um, you know transgendered students, right? You know, and I go, oh, God. I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to say something to this student. The student has raised their hand, their hand, right? And I'm going to respond to them. And I'm, you know, I'm a binary guy. He, she. Which one is he, she? You know, I've stopped and asked. We, can you tell me your pronouns again? I'm, I'm really trying to learn this. Can you tell me what your pronouns are? Right. right. I just want to affirm who you are. Right. You have had enough of people refusing to affirm who you are. People trying to convert you from who you are. And I don't want to be a part of that. I want that to be repugnant to me. So 
Tell me your pronouns you know, again. Hey, Dave, you know what? I, I'm glad that you brought, I think that that's great. You know, you obviously are, if we're thinking about it in terms of tolerance or rigidity or mm -hmm. whatever, I would credit you with being more tolerant or less rigid than me. But it's nice to hear you say that. And, and you know what's great about that or what's great about open conversations like this? I'm not that far along in that piece. Like yeah. where, where you're yeah. at in that piece, I'm not that far along. Mm -hmm. I still get annoyed mm -hmm. by the, the mm -hmm. whole, you know, uh -huh. who's the right pro down mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm sure at some point it'll come around for yeah. you. But you're right that it takes... You know, we don't just, society's not just going to switch in an instant. Right, We're not right. all of a sudden going to wake up one yeah. day and say, oh, no, there's no longer big. Yeah. said everything is equal. And mm -hmm. it, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. It takes time, and we all have to be willing to work at it. And yes, I think the reason right. why this works is because we've been willing to say we're going to work at this. Yes, we're not exactly. Go with our jaded exactly. view and say, yeah, this and is the way it's going to be. You know, like, I could, yeah, and I, I could envision, a, you know, a teacher, I mean, I'm a teacher. I could envision a you know you know that that um, moment you know pro what is the pronoun you know LGBTQIA you know did they add another letter this week you know uh, and and you know catch me up catch me up and but I could imagine from my perspective thinking it's an inconvenience to have to figure that out. Yep. Okay. So in my world, it's an inconvenience to figure that out, but in that person's world. It's not an inconvenience. It's their identity. It's just, an it's just the who you know? they are. And so, and and I, and I, and I think that, that 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 what's what's really important in in this is um, that you know we in recovery our friendship would end in a heartbeat. You know, if you said to me, "You got to go to treatment," it would end in a heartbeat. You know, um, we would we would. We would jettison this friendship if it meant uh, saving the other person's life. Because we ain't friends. We always got to remember that. In the end, we ain't friends. We're in a boat that was sinking. We were dying. And, and, and that will always come first. You know, At least that's my thinking. When I told my wife when I, when I was dating her uh, and getting serious about her, I said, I got, I got to tell you, you, you'll never be first in my life. Lizzie yeah. and I have, you know, Lizzie's in recovery, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, we have the same kind of thing. And it's not, not that I wouldn't love you or any of those things, but I can't be in, in a relationship with somebody that's, you know, active in addiction and I can't be friends with people. Mm -hmm. Not that I can't be friendly with them. Right. I still do that. Exactly. I, they're not going to be in my circle. Anymore. That's right. Yeah. Hey, Dave, you know, this I'd rather lose the friendship I, than the friend. Yeah. I just, I just, I just, so for me, I just want, I, I might wrap up my, my kind of circle back to all of this. And, and I guess my aha that, that has come from this conversation is what recovery has brought um, to the both of you uh, in terms of this race and recovery modeling um, that I think has, has, has bigger implications if it can, if it can grow beyond mm -hmm. the rooms of recovery. Mm -hmm. One is the, is the desire to be aware of mm -hmm. others outside mm -hmm. of you, just the desire and the desire to be introspective, to, mm -hmm. to, to look both inwardly at yourself in the healing, as well as being able to see other people and, and where they are in, in their world. And I think that the, the recovery programs have brought you that awareness. And, and, and I would just love to find that magic 
whatever yeah, you know, it is, to, 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 to give people the yeah. right to have some, to, to give them that gift yeah. of introspection and self-awareness as well as the, 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 the <laughs> desire to want to see know, others. You know where that comes from, though, that, that a lot of that comes from the idea that when, when you have that moment of clarity like you had and I had and all the people that we know and our friends with have had, the moment of clarity is that, oh, shit, i got to stop drinking and using or it's going to kill me. But it's also that, Jesus, maybe the way that I lived all along hasn't been right. Like, maybe the right. way that I've seen the Like, there, there has to be that acknowledgement <laughs> that maybe everything I've thought about the world is not might necessarily not be, right. Might not yeah. be true. Yeah. should re-examine it. Yeah. Well, that's you know. <laughs> and it's that desire to want to look at it. You, I mean... Well, you know, you're... you're um, this is this is so interesting, and I, and I I would love to come back because I, I mean I, I there, I had some notes and whatnot. We didn't get to, you know, some of the some of the nuances and stuff about race and addiction. So I'd love to come back. But you know, um, Betsy, we're um, uh, there's a, many people, myself included, early recovery. You know, you get a year, all that kind of stuff, and you know, um, going to meetings and just life is really good and this stuff really works and like this would work we should take this out there <laughs> we, and, you know, and, and founder of Alcoholics Anonymous Bill Wilson wanted to do that right wanted to sell it right you know yeah. you know bottle it up to sell it and yeah. you know the the those those members at that time had a they had uh dinner with John D Rockefeller you know and 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 Bill Wilson's like he's gonna give us money four floors you know Detox, treatment, education, college, craftsmanship. We're going to have, we're going to put neon up. And, and, and this is why I think there's a spiritual component to this. So they have this dinner, and John D. Rockefeller says, you got, you got a really good thing here. I'm going to give you $500. If I gave you more than that, you would fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, money, property, and prestige divert people, yeah. you know. And so it's, it's like, and then, so, you know, and you know, uh, Mike, my, back in the day, we couldn't get our egos in the same bar, right? And now we can get our egos in the same room. Right? We can get our egos in the same car. In a car. For <laughs> 13, <laughs> 13 hours. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Driving to Virginia. And we ain't going to get with, no closer than that. Trevor's ego. Oh, my God. That's a miracle, right? Um, and, Lucky you and, got a you sunroof. Know, <laughs> and, you know, if I'm still an alcoholic, right? I'm still a man. I'm still heterosexual. You know, I'm still middle class. So I have trappings with that, right? If I'm still an alcoholic, which means I'm capable of alcoholic thought, right? And if I'm capable of alcoholic thought, that means that, like, if I went out and started converting people, you know, become evangelical, you know? And Do you know that we, we could probably sit here and talk <laughs> for three hours about this, but I, I will tell you, and, that, and then we're going to wrap up, and I want to tell you two things. First off, that one of the things that we did with MHAB, which is what this is, and, and the place that we did, and which you helped me with, mm -hmm. we were in the early days. It was one of my fears was that, you know, if I start doing this and I start, you know, reading my own press clippings and people start saying how wonderful I am, like, that's not good for me. Like, I don't need help that's from right. people telling me how that's wonderful right. I am. That's my right. ego is perfectly that's capable right. of yep. taking yep. me off yep. in that field. <laughs> and I'm fortunate that I have people like you and mm -hmm. Lizzie and mm -hmm. Dave and mm -hmm. people that in my life who remind me that, 
oh, it's really cool what you did, but it doesn't make you special. Like, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Like, good, good for you. Keep doing it. Yep. But it doesn't Keep make up the good job. something <laughs> special. And I think the other point, Dave, is I would love to have you come back. I was thinking about it before you mentioned it. And I think that we'll probably, we should put this on as maybe a, yeah. a twice a year thing where we come and we talk, you know, we get an yeah. update on yeah. where we are, yeah. Yeah. racial yeah. divide and things, because I think it's, it's, uh, it's just interesting. And I think that we have a unique ability, Dave, to, to be able to maybe let some people know that there are ways that you can get over whatever your feelings were. And, and I yeah. think that you brought up something that was so important that it wasn't only about whatever prejudices I might have had before. You had those same kinds of things. So it's not a one-way street. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. like, Absolutely. and when we can just sit and talk about it, we can get to a place where we can have like conversation and friendship and stuff and that you know i think as i as i wrap this up what i would say to people who watch this is you know i'm trying to think of what could you say to what, what can we say to somebody who struggles with racism or struggles with bigotry on any level you know how do you get over it and and my advice and i'd be interested in maybe a quick thought from you is you know my advice would be find somebody who's dramatically different from you and ask them to go have a cup of coffee or dinner and yeah. just talk to them like a human being like just find mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't agree with yeah. everything you say who's a little bit different and say let's go out and have a cup of coffee and yeah. have a conversation yeah. because i think that's how it well, starts yeah. yep. well and and yes and and i think and and how do i develop this awareness and and i, and I think i think that's exact i used to say to people when was the last time somebody sat at your dinner table who's different from you right and it's different if a person came to your door and they were in a wheelchair how would they get in you know just things that we don't think about right that i have the privilege of not thinking about you know i, I you know i don't worry walking across the parking lot at 10 o'clock at night and on your campus after i teach a class you would right sure and and so you know I, ne I, I didn't think about that because I had the privilege of not thinking about it. No, you know, I, I'm like 60 times less likely to be attacked by someone in a dark parking lot than you are, right? So for me to think about that and go, ah, all right, so let's make sure that when we adjourn that you go, no one goes to a parking lot alone, right? You go in groups, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's, that's conveying an understanding, you know? Um, as opposed to, look, we got campus cops. This is a safe campus. Don't worry about it. Work it out. You're just being paranoid. Yep. See, that's, mm -mm. but you know, I, you, you said what, 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 I think probably if I can put this in lay kind of non-recovery terms, people can, people can, can work at lessening their biases and prejudices and, and stereotypes and distortions of others by being with people who are different and and talking about getting to something that you have in common. Mm -hmm. What do you have in common that's important? What do you have in common that's special? What do you have in common that's sacred? Well, most people have a family, right? Most people have a career. Most people, you know, have this, that, or the other. Some, you know, family's important, family's critical. And mo most people are trying to, are trying to do that. They, they want a decent place to live, they want opportunity, they want a career. Most of the people in the United States want that, you know? So there's this, there are common, and let's just be human. No, 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 no. Let's look at what we have in common. What, what, what do we value in common?
you know, sure. I value marriage. And don't get in the battle over mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. that we that might separate right, us. Right, let's yeah, try yeah. to find something that's in mm -hmm. common and let's expand on that mm -hmm. and we'll ultimately get to the place where yeah. we can talk yeah. about yeah. that. I, I think that's, that's the simplest way I can put it. We, we have, have something, something in common. I mean, we've expounded on it greatly, but we really do have something in common that we share that's of primary importance in our lives. And that's, you know, from there we can, from there we can work together. So can we count you in as maybe we do this a couple times? Oh, I'd love to. to. Uh, this is great. I would that's, love to. That's cool. You yeah. can't wear a tie, though. I, mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't realize this was television. I thought it was radio. I have voice for radio, right? You do have, <laughs> you do have a great <laughs> radio voice. voice. Radio. Absolutely. You have, you have Absolutely. But, you know, yeah. you look good, too, Dave. So you're going to be fine. of uninterrupted. <laughs> yeah. When I got my 30-year trip, I thought, XXX, I'm going to get me a radio station. <laughs> Triple S. It will yeah. be uh, it will be interesting to see what the following of this uh, of this one was. This is yeah, you know, yeah. this is one of those topics yeah. that I think is cool, yeah. and we could probably sit here and do this. We do have day jobs that we need to go to. So I think that you know I, you you you're, you're you know and people watching it, you know, I, I you know I we often have a tendency in, in this day and age to have knee jerk reactions, you know, and I would just say pause, just just hit pause. And let it pass, you know, because once I have the knee jerk, I'm not hearing it anymore. You know, I'm going in here with what I, the structures that I have in here to interpret what you just said, and I'm not going to like and 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 come. You're already the, getting your rebuttal yeah, prepared. Yeah, rather exactly. Than yeah. To what That's right. There. If you're getting your rebuttal prepared, your rebuttal prepared, you're not listening. Yeah. So thanks a bunch oh, for coming. Oh, thank you. Do you thank have anything you. you want to add in closing, uh, Miss Vicenzio? Oh, look at you, so formal. No, I don't. I think this has been a wonderful conversation. I love, I love watching the two of you spar. That's always fun for me too. But really, I like, I just like, I like the depth of the conversation that I feel like we always have, David. When I get yeah. a moment to spend yeah. with you, yeah. and uh, yeah. and really, I think that uh, this has been uh, just a, an incredibly healthy conversation. I know it's been for me, but I suspect for our listeners. It's going well, to be yeah, two. I think you're right, and, I, and to me, I, I mean, three people. I mean, there's five people in the room, but you know, the, ostensibly three people, and um, we have transformed one another in this hour and a half, or whatever. We transform. That's a spiritual experience. Sure is. You no, know, I'm sure better. Is. I'm enhanced through this experience. Thank you. Well, we, you know, we, we, we enjoy doing this. And again, thank you for coming. It's cool. I, I, I'm enjoying myself. I love, you like, a, I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother. You are my man, you know. We We're going to spend 13 hours in the car. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah. You're not smoking, yeah. right? No, well, no, uh, no. You guys, well, oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, um, because had we been, I think I've said several times, had, had the conversations that we had in the car, had we been in a bar, we would have been <laughs> in a parking lot. We'd have been in a fist fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fifteen miles. Throw down, motherfucker. Hey, don't get up. Don't get up. So, hey, don't forget your shirt. I'm just going to wrap this up. Oh, you sorry. see the sweatshirt today, and I wore. This is one of our designs that you can get on MHAB Marketplace. MHAB Marketplace. Recovery is an inside job. Don't use, don't die. That's one of the, how do you become an old time? That's right. Don't, don't drink, drink, don't, don't use, drink, don't, don't die. Use, don't don't use, die. don't die. So we use that regularly. Go and visit uh, the MHAB website. There's blogs on there. There's other podcasts. You can certainly buy something if you want to, but you're not obligated. And we appreciate everybody for coming and, and listening to us. I think this was a great conversation. I'm excited to see it. 
Um, and I'm excited to have you come back and we'll, we'll dive into this happy more to. in depth. Thank you. And I, I will tell you, Dave, you know what? You and I probably don't have the power to change the world, but to be able to sit here and have this kind of dialogue, maybe somebody out there who you know, lives in the same world that you or I do can recognize that it can be different and you can have a different Well, yeah, you know, I mean, somebody like can look at this, you yeah. know, black man, this is like, this is like the, the mod, mod squad. You remember the mod squad? <laughs> a black, a white, and a woman. Rick, Clarence Williams third, and Peggy Lipton, who married Quincy Jones. The mod squad, you know. I mean, look at what happened, you know. I didn't call you a name. You didn't call me a name. You know. Yeah. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I gotta shut down. We're done. Uh, sorry. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta I want to keep going. Thirteen hours of marathon. Thirteen hours of marathon. Thirteen hours. So really, thanks again for coming, and uh, we'll be back with some more of this in the future. And, uh, and, and it's great stuff. And I'm, I'm I'm proud to call you a friend and a brother. And You're my man. Yeah. So thanks for coming. We'll see All you right. next week. Hey. Very good. COVID. COVID out. today at Recovery Uncovered. No matter where you are in your recovery journey, or if you're supporting the recovery journey of a loved one, just know today is the first day of the rest of your life. Visit our website at mhab.org. And if you want to become an old timer in recovery, don't use and don't die. This has been Recovery Uncovered. <laughs>